Today's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power from the Holy when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven." This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you today. Um, thank you for allowing me to join you um, in worship and sharing God's word with you today. I'm going to speak from here, not because there's anything wrong with being up there. It's just for your sake. I find that if I'm speaking like this, I sound funny, and that's what I feel like when I'm up there. So please uh, don't feel um, that I'm like usurping or doing anything wrong. Um, it's just for your sake, out of love. All right, so um, yeah, so I'm from, I'm the campus director at the Notre Dame Bible Fellowship, so we're a group of about 30 students um, who meet on campus who proclaim the gospel to the campus. And the week before Easter, we were able to, uh, to present the gospel in three different ways uh, by asking a few questions to the campus. So we asked, uh, did Jesus, uh, so does humanity need a savior? Does Jesus's death matter? And did Jesus rise from the dead? And we got some interesting answers to those questions and we're quite excited with the students who are engaging with us and asking questions back at us. They were going, hey, um, what's the right answer here? Like, and we're like, no, this is, this is not about right and wrong. This is about what you think so that we can talk with you about it. Um, and it was exciting because they were engaging with the gospel and some were saying, well, this is actually something that I need to investigate while I'm on, at university. I've got heaps of time. I can do it. So please continue to pray for the work there on campus. Pray for myself and Celeste 
um, who's the fellow worker on campus, uh, as we continue to grow up and build up the students there so that they can proclaim the gospel that we know is true. So looking at the passage today, we're looking at Jesus' ascension. Um, and if you remember last week, we're kind of left on a cliffhanger. And I really don't like cliffhangers, do you? Like, when they come up in a, a, a Netflix series or on TV, we're just like, oh, I can't wait to the next week. And the anticipation kills us. It's like, oh, what's going to happen in that episode? Or, oh, what's, what's that person going to do? Or is this um, problem going to be resolved? Or I'm just going to spend the whole week pulling my hair out and go and worry about it. Cliffhangers are the worst, aren't they? And I find that Netflix is kind of drawing on this, net, on this um, desire to get a cliffhanger resolved. At the end of every episode, I find that they end on a cliffhanger, so you're like, okay, next, next. And then it's 2 a.m. in the morning and you have hardly any sleep. You want to watch the next episode. You want to know what happens next. You want to naturally find out the answer to the mystery, to the question that's been answered. And if we're looking at Mark, it kind of ends on a cliffhanger, doesn't it? If we look back at Mark chapter 16, verse 8, we saw a bit of a cliffhanger. It's the disappearance of Jesus' body and the women going to the tomb and not finding it there. And the angel leaves them with this message. Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He, isn't, he is risen he is not here. And that, that, that kind of jars as a, as a cliffhanger where they're going, okay then, so the angel has told us he's not here. Where is he? What's happened? What's next? I think that's the natural response that we're to have to this story. It's a cliffhanger, isn't it? So if we were watching a movie and that was the end scene, we'd be really disappointed, I think. We'd be like, uh, I want to know the answer. Where is Jesus' body? Is he dead? Is he alive? Is the angel telling the truth? Are the two women who went to the tomb telling the truth? What's going on here? And I think what Mark is doing is wanting us to investigate that for ourselves and to consider it and to come up with the answer by looking into Jesus' word. Now, if this happened to us, if someone had said, all right, I'm risen from the dead and didn't turn up, I think we'd be left like the women were left. Remember what it said in Mark chapter 16? It said, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They were terrified. They were bewildered. They, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So, we, we end on a cliffhanger. Jesus' body is gone, Mark ends abruptly, and a cliffhanger is established. Now, if we're first-time hearers of this story, we're left hanging. We as Christians, we know the answer, we've come to the truth, but if we just read it as listening as first-time hearers, we don't know what happens next. We don't know if the angel's claims are true or not, and we don't know whether if Jesus is alive or not. 
But this week, in Acts chapter 1, the cliffhanger has been taken off the cliff, so to speak. He's not left hanging, and we're going, I wonder if he survives this, uh, this episode, or someone comes and saves him. I don't know. But in this instance, in Acts chapter 1, the cliffhanger is taken off the cliff, so to speak, and placed at the top and saved. We know the answer. Jesus has risen. So let's look at Acts chapter 1 together. Today we're going to see that Jesus is indeed alive, that Jesus gives his Holy Spirit as proof proof of this, and he ascends to the right hand of heaven, in heaven of God. All right, so looking at the first three verses, it, it tells us that Jesus is alive. Let's read verse 3 together. So, after his suffering, Jesus presented himself alive to them by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, if someone is dead, they wouldn't have appeared over 40 days and offered many proofs that they're alive, would they? They'd be dead. They'd be in the tomb. There'd be nothing to be solved. Now, in verse 3, you might have noticed a key little part of that. that it's kind of glossed over as we read it out, but it says this, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering. Now, what does his suffering mean? What, what is the, the writer trying to trigger in our minds when he's talking about the suffering? He's talking about Jesus' death, like we looked back at Easter last weekend and saw that Jesus really died on a cross. He was really pierced with a spear and he died. And it comes as, not as a, as a shock to those who actually read the gospel and go, oh, actually, Jesus predicted his death and told us that he was going to die and suffer many things. But it's his suffering for our salvation. Jesus suffered for our salvation. And that's the writer's way of summing up the total of Jesus' life, culminating or coming together on the cross. But there's another part of this verse that we can kind of gloss over as well. After his suffering, after his death on the cross, he appeared to the disciples and many others and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. So he didn't just offer one, he just didn't say, hi guys, I'm here and then disappear and ascend off into heaven. No, he was around for 40 days, offering many proofs that he was alive. So, think about this. If someone came to you and said, I've risen from the dead, what would your first question be to them? What what would you say to them? Yeah, yeah, just disbelief. You know, you couldn't do that. What are you saying? Only one person can do that. So some people like to see there's been numerous claims in history of people coming back from the dead and a lot of the questions people ask them is, what was death like? Did you see God? Have you had an, an experience of, uh, of heaven? It's a bit like the many bogus claims that have come in the past. But Jesus' death and resurrection isn't like that. It isn't like those bogus claims. He, 
He doesn't go and say, hey, I, I, I encountered God and here, here's my book that I've written and here, buy my book and make me really rich. That's not what Jesus has done here. He offers many proofs, not just one proof, that can't be refuted. He appears bodily in the flesh and he offers many proofs. So, it's, it's quite funny. When you look at these verses, it, the disciples don't speak at all until verse 6. They're, they're speechless. They're, they've got nothing to offer. They, Jesus appears and they're like, what's going on here? Like, you were dead, but now you're alive. Now, there's numerous proofs that Jesus offers and shows to his disciples that he's alive. It's many convincing proofs. He knows that if he doesn't convince them, they're not going to believe that he's from, risen from the dead. It's just going to be like those other bogus claims. Instead, he offers many convincing truths that he's risen from the dead. So I'm going to touch on a couple of them, like just, just mention them. Like, so one of the biggest ones was that Jesus appeared in a locked room to his disciples, who were the eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. And consequently to that, Jesus appeared to Thomas, who wasn't in that locked room, and said to him, hey, you asked for one thing, to touch my hands and my side, and then you would believe. So here they are. And Jesus offered his hands and his side. Thomas touched and saw and went, my Lord and my God. So Thomas believed because he saw Jesus. And another one is that Jesus appeared with the disciples and ate with them, ate fish and talked with them and showed them the many various ways that the Old Testament proclaims that he's the risen Lord and Messiah. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he couldn't have done that. So if Jesus was not alive, he could not do those things. Now, I've only taken three examples from the Gospels, but if you look at the, the resurrection accounts, so the, the post-resurrection accounts in Luke and in John, he actually appears numerous times, and there's some good stories there to actually prove that he has risen from the dead. And we, like, Acts 1 is another one which helps us see that Jesus is risen. He's no longer on the cliff, so, so to speak. He's, the cliffhanger has been solved. He's alive. Mark ended with a cliffhanger. Acts 1 declares and states Jesus is alive. But now that the cliffhanger has been saved, that Jesus has shown himself to be alive and risen from the dead, he gets on with his job. And he invites the church and the disciples to be involved in that mission, involved in that job to achieve the mission that he set out to do. So Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. That's the second point. So it says in verse 4, And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for God... For John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
So Jesus gives his Holy Spirit to the church. But we as second or third or fourth time readers know that that's already happened. And as Christians, we know that's already happened. But for the disciples, they're going, what's this Holy Spirit about? What, what was he going to do? And Jesus has to remind them. He has to give them the, the indication of he's actually told them before. Like, it's, it's like, um, yeah, if, if you've told some really important information, you have to be reminded about it because you're just forgetful. The, the disciples are forgetful. They don't know what's going to happen. So he, Jesus tells them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift uh, wait for the gift my father has promised. So we see in this that Jesus' next step in his plan is actually to send the Holy Spirit as, um, as a gift. We're not going to um, work out what that's for right now, but it's not like the disciples weren't expecting that gift. It's, it's been pretty much like you're at Christmas time. And someone says to you, I'm going to buy that watch for you for Christmas. And sure enough, like on Christmas Day, it's, you unwrap it and it's a watch. Oh, that's great. It's, it's here. Like Jesus has kind of spoiled the gift in, in a way, the excitement and the surprise of it. But he's done it in anticipation that the disciples will want to have it and want to receive it. And it's, not, and it's so complicated, Jesus wants them to understand that it's a gift from God and from him to help them to do the job that he set them up to do. He's giving them the means by which to achieve the mission that he's promised for them to do. He's giving them the Holy Spirit to help them to do what they're going to do. So if you have your Bibles with, with you, um, just quickly look over the page over, so Acts chapter 2, and there's actually a quote from the Old Testament that Peter uses um, to explain what's happening on the day of Pentecost. So the day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit comes down on the church of God, and this is actually from the Old Testament, from the prophet Joel. It says this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. This gets very confusing. <laughs> prophesy, dreaming dreams, that's the Holy Spirit's job? What? Oh, sorry. Maybe that doesn't really explain it that well. Why didn't God just say, I'm giving you my Holy Spirit to proclaim my gospel? That would be easy. That would be the mission done and sorted. That would be so much easier for us to understand. But Peter's wanting us to understand that even the Old Testament proclaims that God is given, going to give his Holy Spirit to his people so that they can prophesy God's words to the people around them. Now, fortunately for us, God does give us a little bit of an easier in for this. What does prophesy mean? So, uh, in John, say so the other gospel, while enjoying the Passover feast with the disciples, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will help the apostles remember everything of his life so they can write it down. Now, if we look at verse 8, 
we'll see that that's about to come true. So skip down to verse 8 with me in Acts chapter 1. But you, so he's talking to his disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there you go. Like, Prophet Joel is a bit confusing, but Jesus is very clear about what the Holy Spirit is going to enable the disciples to do. He's going to help them be the witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus wants the apostles to be witnesses in all the whole world of him. So what, what does this witnessing mean? Like what, what is Jesus trying to get the apostles to do? What is their mission? What is their role? Well, say for example, um, I invited you to my wedding. I, I don't think any of you guys were at my wedding. No, but... Okay, so got married nearly 10 years ago. You get an invite from me. I'm sorry for not inviting you to my wedding, but I didn't know you then. Um, and I specifically asked you to come and be witnesses to Crystal and my marriage. Like we stand up, we say our vows together, we exchange rings, we sign the registry, and you're witnesses to all that, aren't you? If you, you're watching and you weren't like talking to someone or... Like, you were there as witnesses to our marriage. And say, for example, someone who wasn't there comes up to you and says, ha, Crystal and Michael, they didn't get married, really. Like, it's just all a big hoax. It never really happened. And then you, as witnesses to the marriage, goes, go, you would go, hang on, mate. I was there. I saw them exchange rings, take vows, and sign the registry. They're definitely married. It's, it's the same for Jesus. He's, he's invite, like The apostles have been with him since the very beginning. They have the key details about him, and he wants them to be able to respond in power to people who come and say, wait, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. They can actually say, hang on, mate, I was there. He appeared, he came to us, he gave us his Holy Spirit, and now I can actually say, no, nah, you're wrong. He rose from the dead. He is the true Messiah that was written in the Old Testament about, and it came true when he arrived. He died and rose from the dead. Now, if we're, if we're Christians, we've responded to those eyewitness accounts, haven't we? We've seen that they're true, and we have responded in belief. We have believed their written accounts and we know that Jesus has risen from the dead. So the work of the Holy Spirit is twofold in this way. Firstly, to the apostles, the Holy Spirit enables them to proclaim the truth of Jesus' resurrection to the whole world. To help the disciples remember everything about Jesus so they can be witnesses to the whole world. And to help us, so, and the Holy Spirit helps us understand their eyewitness accounts and believe them. So I think it comes down to this point. So if anyone says that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we can boldly stand in power and say, uh, sorry, you're wrong, because of the evidence that has been given, but also because the Holy Spirit proclaims 
that it is true. So the, we're looking at Acts 1, right? The rest of Acts is actually how the Holy Spirit, by the work of the apostles, moves through the nations, proclaiming the gospel to people who need to be saved. Jesus is working to proclaim his gospel to all nations. And that's what the rest of Acts is all about. It's Jesus' work on earth by the Holy Spirit. It's his saving work to save sinners by proclaiming the gospel through humble and finite humans like myself and you. Jesus has given the Holy Spirit so that people can continue his work once he is gone. And that brings us to our final point. So we see that Jesus ascends. So looking at 6 to 11, Jesus ascends. Now, I kind of told you that the cliffhanger has ended. I, I think I, I lied to you a little bit. I'm very sorry. Um, the, the cliffhanger has been increasingly building. Like Jesus has now left the building, so to speak. He's now left earth and gone to heaven and another cliffhanger is established. Where is Jesus now? What is he doing? When is he going to come back? And that's what the disciples ask. They say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So they've been speechless up until this point and then the next step along the way is to ask, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? What we've been waiting for, what, what the Old Testament proclaims over here, to now? Is it going to happen now? And Jesus kind of sidesteps the question in a bit and he goes, oh, only the Father knows that, uh, that time when, when, the, when the kingdom of Israel is going to be restored. Jesus tells them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set. And then he disappears. Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> He's made another cliffhanger. He disappears. He's taken up into heaven. It says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. Sorry, a cloud hid him from their sight. They have asked their first question and Jesus has sidestepped it and disappeared. So imagine being there. You've been been told that you'd get the Holy Spirit and then your king, your Lord and king disappears and rises up into heaven. I, I'd be very fearful at that point. I'd be wondering what on earth was going on. What, what are you doing, Jesus? What are you doing? But I'm not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. He has done something good and remarkable. And it seems that this, at both at the same time it's climactic Jesus ascending into heaven, into perfection with his Father, into perfect relationship with him again. But it's also anticlimactic because his people are left on earth going, oh, what are we to do now? What's our job? But if you have recognised what I've been saying previously, that Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to help us do the job, that Jesus is commanding from heaven. He's, he's the king directing and calling the shots. And the only way that he can do that for the whole world is by ascending to the right hand of the Father. 
So the question that the disciples asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus, instead of bringing heaven to earth, goes to heaven to proclaim, to do the work that he's going to do to proclaim the gospel to all nations. The only way that he can achieve that is by ascending to his right, to the right hand of the Father, to be the true king of Israel, to restore the kingdom to Israel as their true king. So Jesus needs to be in heaven calling the shots before the kingdom of Israel is restored physically on earth. But when we look at it, I think like the disciples, I'd be very confused. I'd be a little bit angry even. And I'd probably be like, well, thanks, Jesus. It doesn't really help me in the here and now. You're up there. I'm down here. You said you'd give us your Holy Spirit, but what help is that going to be? You're not here. You're in heaven. You're going to be enjoying time with God while I'm stuck here. Now, we do get the response from the disciples, fortunately, and, and I think they're a bit like us. The two, uh, two men stood beside them in white robes, probably angels again, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up in heaven? So they're kind of a bit shocked looking up. And I think they've been caught napping. It shows that they haven't understood what Jesus has said. Deep down, they want him physically to be with them. They're waiting for Jesus to return and they've forgotten their job. They've forgotten their mission. To be his witnesses while they wait his return. And I think we can learn something from this. If we're always waiting for Jesus' return, looking up at heaven going, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? When are you coming back? And that's occupying our whole thoughts and our minds and our good deeds, we can sometimes forget that the church's job now is to proclaim the eyewitness accounts, to proclaim the gospel while we wait. It seems like Jesus has left us, but he hasn't. He hasn't left us hanging. He hasn't left us alone. He has sent his Holy Spirit to help us to proclaim his gospel. And that's where we're different to the disciples in this story. We already have the Holy Spirit. We know what our job is. It's only when the Spirit came at Pentecost the disciples fully understood their mission to proclaim the good news to the whole world. And that's why the rest of Acts exists. Like, without their understanding, without the Holy Spirit coming, they can't get on with a good job of proclaiming the good news to the whole world. So Jesus' ascension isn't a proclamation that he's not with us, that he's in heaven and not with us, but rather he's achieving his mission of saving people from his throne room, ruling as king, giving good gifts, and the gift of the Holy Spirit to his people. So Jesus is ruling his people from his throne room. He hasn't left us alone. He has sent the Holy Spirit to help us understand our mission and to understand that he has saved people from their sins. And so knowing that Jesus' mission is our mission, we can follow him with confidence. We can follow him with confidence and eager expectation of his return. So we don't just wait while we serve. We, we just don't wait, sorry. But we wait 
and serve. We serve while waiting. We proclaim the gospel while waiting for his return. And waiting faithfully is proclaiming the gospel, not just looking up at heaven and going, are, are you back yet? Are you back yet? Are you back yet? Um, we've actually got a job to do. So, in conclusion, this morning we've seen that we've solved one cliffhanger. We've seen that Mark 8 ended kind of abruptly, that Jesus' body isn't there in the tomb. But Acts 1 proclaims that he has appeared and that he has proven that he's alive through many proofs over 40 days. So in one way, we solve one cliffhanger. Jesus is alive and he is doing his job. But the second one is, there's another one established. When is Jesus going to return? That's the next cliffhanger that's got to be solved. And that is not for us to know. Only the Father knows when that's going to happen. So what do we do while we wait? We don't know when Jesus will return, so what do we do while we wait? So, like, cliffhangers are solved by understanding the problem and knowing the solution. So if we're on the TV on Netflix, we just click the next next episode and the answer is right there but Jesus has said that only the father knows when he's coming back so we're going to do the job that he's proclaiming uh, has given us to do until he returns generation after generation or today tomorrow next week next year like we don't know when he he's going to return but we get on with the job. We wait, we go back to work, we wonder when Jesus will return, but we work all the same. We know the answer to Jesus' cliffhanger. We know that he's coming back. It's like, that's the solution. Like, we know the solution, we just don't know when it's going to happen. That's okay. Jesus has given us not... Uh, hasn't given us the... Um, sorry, the, um, what's the word? I've lost my train of thought. Anyway, come back. Um, so Jesus expects us to prophesy um, his gospel to the world. It's not just sitting around on our, our hands going, when are you coming back, God? Um, when are you coming back, Jesus? It's actually, he's given us a job to do. He calls us to be his eyewitnesses by understanding the eyewitness accounts. So in that way, we're actually helping others see the solution to the cliffhanger that they have in their lives, if you think of it this way. Again, I'll come back to what we were asking on campus. Does humanity need a saviour? I think a lot of people are asking that question now. They're asking, do we need a saviour? Do we need a saviour? Do we want a saviour? We're wanting that solution to fall into our laps. We, we're wanting it. But there's only one solution that matters. There's only one solution that saves our souls. The answer is revealed by Jesus through his Holy Spirit. It is his word which proclaims Jesus as the only one who's died and risen for the, from the dead for our sins and our justification. Now, we can be confident and on board with Jesus' mission of salvation because we know that he has risen from the dead and he has given us the Holy Spirit. 
and that he has ascended to rule in heaven as our king, our Lord and saviour, from his throne room, calling the shots. Now, Jesus' church has been given the privilege to share in that mission, the solution to humanity's cliffhanger. Are you on board with that? Are you excited by that? Are you waiting expectantly for the Holy Spirit to help you with that? If you're wondering about that, come chat to us, come talk to us. We can talk to you about how Jesus has solved the ultimate cliffhanger. Are we right with God? He's done that on the cross and we proclaim it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you on board? Please stand and sing with us. <laughs>